If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's guest on Horse Chats is Tony Sandoval, but he's also known as Coach Sando. Now, Coach Sando is a strength and conditioning coach, and he specialises in equestrian athletes. I'm very interested to talk to him because I think someone like that, you know, to me as an equestrian coach, someone like that is a great compliment to my riders. But before we go into that in detail, I'd just like to remind you about International Horse College and the podcast being brought to you by International Horse College. Now, the mission of International Horse College is to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. And I think this chat with Tony is part of that education. Have a look at the wide variety of horse courses now at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, are you there, Tony? Yes, I'm right here. Perfect. Now, Tony, you're a strength and conditioning coach, so you're qualified. You'd gone round and you started your career into collegial athletes, working with athletes from all types of Olympic sports, but now you're focusing on equestrian. I know there's going to be a story in that, and I'm dying to, to hear the story, but before we start, just to get to know you a little bit better, if you could tell us something about a favourite quote, which could be something that you tell your, your riders, it could be something that you tell yourself, it could be something hanging on the wall, what would you say would be your favourite quote? And tell us a little bit about why this is your favourite quote. Okay, sounds good. So my favourite quote is one by Stephen King, and it's, talent is cheaper than table salt. What separates a talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. So I got that from one of my mentors when I was starting off in the college realm of athletics. And when I read that, it, it really resonated with me because working with those type of athletes in the collegiate space, there are a lot of talented individuals at every university, at every college. But the ones that made it to the professional level, not only were they talented, but you could see that they did all the hard work that you don't see on TV, that you don't see in the stadiums or in the arenas. The waking up early and being in the gym with the coaches on sitting up and they're getting an extra work to help them stay healthy, asking all the questions or doing extra things because they knew that their talent was not going to be enough to get them to that next level. So that really resonated with me. Even to this day, uh, when I talk to young writers uh, and anybody that is aspiring to be a professional that, you know, training with me and doing things that they would consider cross-training, in my opinion, is not cross-training whatsoever. It's essential training. And it's just hard work that you're not used to. But as you get involved in it and you see the benefits of it, that's going to separate you from the rest of the individuals that may have the same talent as you. Yep, yep. Oh, look, I, I see it. You know, I see right from beginner riders, you know, you might have a group of 
beginners or, or maybe not beginner beginners, but, you know, riders who are, say, just learning to jump and just learning to do different things. And some, you know, there might be a, a bit of a star there that you think, wow, this just person just looks natural on a horse. They sit there, they can, you know, they look really good. They seem like they're a natural talent, but then they just don't go anywhere. And another person, and I've seen it, you know, a person that you just think, oh, hope they don't fall off. <laughs> I hope they, you know, I hope they, they stay on. They're just <laughs> not very coordinated at all. But but they keep persisting. You know, they keep persisting, almost like a dog with a bone, you know. They just keep persisting, keep persisting, yeah. but also open to learning. You know, like just um, like a sponge, you know, open to that learning and we'll, we'll just sort of follow any little bit of a lead that you give them and they just keep going down that track. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had those athletes. Yes, yeah, yeah. May not ever get, but also, you know, it, they're that sort of personality that whatever they're on, they just keep on and on and on about that, not sort of give up too easy, but just be open and, yeah, keep going. Tony, something else too, you know, like I know that you've worked with a lot of strength and conditioning and you're doing all sorts of sports, but now you're doing equestrian athletes. You know, you're really specialising in equestrians and I think you talk about redefining equestrian performance. Why equestrian? Is there a story there? Yeah, there sure is. So when I got out of the college sector and came into what we call the private sector, I, I was a personal trainer uh, at a gym, and while I was there, there was always this this uh, individual that you know, we see each other, and I just knew she was an athlete. And I I just got a mile away so many years that I've been working with them, and you know we we decided that we wanted to work with each other, and through a relationship, you know I only knew she was an equestrian, but I had never really worked with an equestrian, so I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, I didn't know if she jumped or was it a thought or was it a jockey. I didn't think she was a question. And that type of she liked because she wanted to be outside of women's training or outside of the course and just have a little bit of downtime away from purposes. So she kind of liked that I didn't know anything. And we, we got to a our relationship was really strong and she trusted me and when I got ready for her competition for a competition season I told her that you know, we were just going to work on general strength training just for the first year I feel we should build a good base a foundation of athleticism that we build upon we were on it she took off to Cal Florida for the beginning of her competition season and a couple of weeks later I get a call and she's calling me post-surgery, telling me that I better be ready for her when she comes back. She had a rotational fall. Everything on the right side had pretty much been broken. And the doctor told her that if it wasn't for her training, her strength, and um, the density of her muscles, she would have died in, in that accident. So she said, you pretty much saved my life. And... You know, when I've been in college, and I want to say this very humbly, I've had athletes that thank me, you know, when they graduated, thank you for teaching me accountability or respect or believing me when I know the answer, it really meant a lot to me. I've had those situations that they meant a lot, they meant a lot to me, but I never had anybody tell me that I 
literally saved their life. And that hit hard. That, that bit of under me that I almost, I can't explain it, but when you find something that is a, a purposeful, a mission, then you're all in. And after that, I just did all the things that I could to learn about the sport, learn about the different disciplines. Uh, I even got so invested, I was going to any bar that would let me just sit and watch and not just watch the rider, but the intricacies of what the lesson looks like. You know, I'm, I'm trained, formally trained as a coach. It's not just a word, but we understand the learning models and coaching cues and setting the right environment. What is skill acquisition? How do you build the skill acquisition? So I'm learning from trainers. How do they teach their athletes so that I can be a part of a support system that can take what they're saying to them and build it through a physical avenue or the mental component so that they see results, not just a workout of the day. I got into it, and the more I started getting into the community, the more Ali started teaching me about what was going on. I mean, I went to shows, and I and I bought a camera, and I would take pictures. And let me tell you, side note, it is difficult to be <laughs> uh, someone that is like a professional photographer at horse shows. It is difficult. I thought it would be easy. No way to take to catch the right angle that the people like is very hard. Uh, but I had to mention that. But I I just wanted to look at film. I wanted to study it. I wanted to say what is going on here. Talk to me, Ali. What am I What am I seeing here? And it turned into this passion. And a lot of people asked me. A lot of my colleagues asked me, "How from does a kid from Los Angeles, California?" So concrete jungle, if you may, end up on a horse farm or in cross-country courses all over, you know, the south part of the United States instead of a college stadium where we're holding ninety thousand plus. And, you know, it's I can't answer that. All I know is that calling. You know, when you find something and you go, "This is it." I thought it was college football, American football, but this is it. I love the people. I'm an animal lover, so the horses, I feel like all of them love me. And you can't get me out of the stable when, you know, I, I enjoy Bucky Falls here and there. That's how new I am. I know everything is fresh and new. It's not a chore to me, but I, I really love the whole aspect of what it means to be an equestrian athlete. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about a calling, you know, and the connection with the horses and the the community around and everything else. And, and I think everyone on this chat would say, oh, yeah, I understand that. You know, someone else may not, but, yeah, we understand that because we have that. We have exactly that same thing, yeah, which is great. Look, I I love the way that you describe what you're doing as a support system. So as an equestrian coach myself and you being a strength and conditioning coach for equestrian riders, that's two different coaches, you know, and I think one supports the other that I might say, well, this is – you know, this is where we're going, this is what we're working on, this is where our goals are, but let's work on, say, these three things. And But you might come in and say, right, I can specialise in that. That To me, that, that makes sense. Is that the way you define it, that you're supporting equestrian coaches? That's exactly it. You know, when I first started on the train, uh, the company, it, I just thought I was providing the service of foundational, strength and conditioning that I thought would would impact everyone the same way it impacted Ali. 
But as I started hanging out and, and watching, uh, I did this in football, I did this in basketball, I did this in every sport, to go in there and to create a needs analysis and to sit there and have an analytical perspective of what's going on. Not that I know anything uh, as far as skill set or what the horse is coming in with and the age and how to properly ask you to do certain It wasn't that. It was, if, if you tell me, if you tell me what the problem is from this rider, I can tell you now the reason she can't perform that skill is because she's not strong enough to perform that skill. And sometimes trainers don't think about that. It is a strength component. Some that have been doing a long time understand what the, the rider comes with and, and in situations where they have ability to perform these skills according to their level. And my job is to, is to ask what people do to be at. What skills do they need to redefine or what skills do they need to sharpen where I know now I know we need to train on. Now it's become a lot more focused. And I, and I don't like to say the word specific or, or the term sports specific because I feel like it gets thrown around. To me, if you want to get sports specific training, you, the thing that sport is. So if you want to be a better writer, within reason, you have to have more quality time writing. And I want to specify that. More quality time writing, not just repetition of that means nothing. The brain only will take in skill if the quality is at a high level. That way, that can transfer over to performance. So for me, it was, okay, what can I do to get you more time spending at a high quality? So is it improving your endurance? Is it strengthening some, some body parts? Is it teaching you athletic skills to be able to take all the information that you're getting from your writing experience and be able to express it into commands or ask the right uh, questions for the horse to be able to say, okay, now I understand what you want me to do. So to me, it was more now of, wow, this is different than what I I thought it was. And that's why I love my term, it's redefining a question performance, because it, it, it is that. It's all the time with every single outfit that I work with, I'm constantly redefining their performance. Yeah, I think there's something that you said that I probably need to define because, you know, you talk about strength, that riders need a base level of strength and core strength to stay still on a horse. So strength as a rider doesn't mean the strength to be able to pull back and wrestle with your horse and, you know, to stay still and give those subtle aids takes a great deal of strength. And if someone's out of condition, they can feel, you know, I know myself if I don't ride for a bit, I can feel I get on and, and I'm cantering and I can feel my lower leg just moving that little bit. I think, mm, I, I need to be able to be stronger to stay still on the horse. Yeah, you know, I think we're working. I think that the exercise you can do are, are going to be very complementary. Yep, yep. Right, and currently it's, it's building that, that menu of exercises that I've been talking to here in the States uh, the coaches that run our developmental teams, uh, our youth developmental teams, is asking them, what is the long-term development model that we are trying to develop here? What, what, are, what are we trying to create that way we can have a feed system of high-level athletes internationally? What, what does it look like? Because I've gone to conferences where uh, I uh, heard um, soccer 
of the national team, how they pass up their long-term development model and processes and how they take young athletes at the age of eight and they can project what they're going to be like when they're 18. So I'm working with those models. And what does it take for someone to do scale X, Y, Z? What does that look like? What does that look like to be able to say, you got an athlete that can't keep their lower leg in the proper position? Is it, is it, I'm not saying it's always going to be black and white like that, but I'm saying uh, I feel that there is levels that athletes can be in, in a strength and movement that we call the athletic umbrella that they can graduate. And if trainers knew what level they were at, they would say, right, this is now what they're able or capable of doing on a horse because I know that they have this athleticism. So it works in a lot of sports, but in the question, it's more of, well, I'll just get a better horse. It's never, it's never the rider. Right, and, and I don't know if that question has ever been brought up because I'm looking at it from fresh eyes. I mean, we, I work with a lot of sports scientists in my in my profession, and they did a lot of analytics. We use GPS systems to track acceleration, deceleration. There was a lot of data, but what that taught me was if I can collect the right type of data, then I can help people understand what we need to improve on. It's not just Something random. It's something that's going to be specific towards them once they built a, a foundation, and it's going to be specific to what their trainer feels they need to get to the next level, or they need to properly have that communication with the horse they currently own. Good. Yep. Yep. Now, Tony, working with you know, and I'm sort of drawing on your background, your previous background, where you worked with a lot of people from very different sports to equestrian and equestrian. If you look at the people, we already talked about, you know, you feel it's a calling, but the core skills and the character traits of someone who is an equestrian athlete as opposed to someone that's, say, a footballer, what's the difference? Is there a difference between the personality of a rider and the personality of, say, a footballer? You know, the the personality traits of any athlete that wants to succeed and is dedicated are, are very few. I would say this though, and get asked this question a lot. And I think every podcast to some degree, I change it up because I, I think about it more. And just recently, this had another athlete tell me the same, uh, the response to questions from them about their, their fitness. And, and this is something that only happens with the question. They put their horse up, and the condition and the health and the well-being of their horse before their own, to an extent where it's detrimental. Where in other sports, the improvement and the, and the increase of athleticism is geared towards them. Even though it's a team sport, but what I'm talking about is from an individual perspective, they know they have to get better at something. And, and then they sacrifice everything out or prioritize everything so that they can see the benefits for themselves. Equestrians feel like they owe so much to us for what they ask it to do and the amount of work. And they, you know, they prioritize their feed. They know what's going in the feed. They know what products and uh, supplementation uh, needs to go in there. They have all of the massages and, and the chiropractic work and the acupuncture. Meanwhile, if I ask them, what do you do for recovery? They have no answer for me. What's in your nutritional 
menu have all the wrong answers for me. Uh, do you practice anything that you do training-wise with your on yourself? You plan out your training. You call the horse training, but you call your physical activity working out. And that's something that I try to differentiate in, in athletes is training involves a goal. Training involves being able to every day work towards a, a, an athletic goal or a goal that's going to get you closer to what you're trying to do as athletic-wise. But sometimes working out just means just showing up and doing whatever is on your phone, the YouTube channel, or whatever you find on Instagram, which may or may not be specific to what, you, what your goals are. So that's training and working out. They don't call trainers that help in your skill development as fighters personal trainers. And the training that they do, they come training for a reason because of the goal. But a lighter will work out. And that's just, again, we could get into, well, that's, Manisha, you're talking about words, but I'm talking about the mindset that goes behind those words. That they don't take care of themselves like they take care of the horse. And that is only seen, the only seen in the question athlete community. Which to me, I love, I love animals. I don't want to come off, I don't want to come off saying like it's bad. I love animals and I, I have, you know, dogs and I will put them before me any day. So I get that. But when it comes to the performance, it's kind of like, you know what? If you really put your horse in you, you should now dedicate to getting yourself healthy, getting yourself stronger so that it makes it easier on the horse to be able to accomplish the work that they need to do. It's kind of like the analogy of the airplane. You know, when you're, when you're first sitting on the airplane and you're sitting down, they go over all of the safety procedures. And when the oxygen masks fall down, the flight attendant specifically says, make sure you put yours on first before putting the, your cared uh, person or your loved one's mask first. It's yours, then there's because they understand if you are useless, you're not going to be able to take care of the person that really is it. It's the same thing to me uh, when they ask me about, you know, training and, and what is the difference between any of that question and athlete and any other type of athlete. Yeah, yeah. I, I know particularly nutrition. You know, we, we identify the different feeds and what they're good for and the, the different supplements and additives, and we take a, a great deal of care to make sure that our horse has a balanced diet. But what do you think about the diet of equestrians? What would you say about, you know, I'm sure you would have come across a few equestrian athletes um, and talked to them about their diet. What, what would you say is a good general thing for equestrian athletes to work towards regarding nutrition? How can we improve that for ourselves? So currently, I would say that the equestrian athlete, their diet is based on aesthetics. It's not based on performance. Now, I'm going to put a big umbrella because I know that there's professionals out there that really do pay attention to the nutrition, the timing of it, and all the quality food. But I am saying the majority of people, when I work with adult amateurs and even, even younger, you know, even youth, because they're adopting this, this mindset that they see on Instagram of eating less, being on a diet, and there's so many of them that it's more aesthetic-based than it is performance-based. So that is one of the things that I would say, and I feel confident, is the problem. And it's probably gone back way before there was even social media. This has probably been a thing 
for a long time. And when I hear horror stories of what riders need to do to weigh themselves, you know, in front of a coach and, if, and, and shame them if they are weighing too much and then they get put on some cabbage soup diet to lower their, their weight so that it's appropriate for their horse. To me, that, that is just breeding a lot of dysfunction within the community. So I feel it's my job to be able to educate people and to show them that there is a way to eat for performance and the effect of you doing that hard work of eating properly will be some aesthetic benefit, but it's not the goal because we have to be healthy before we do anything. And that's one of the things that I, when I first started again, I thought I'm just going to get stronger and fitter and more athletic. But I was not able to do that because that's more of like the iceberg that you can see above the water. When I dug deep and I started to see what the iceberg underwater looked like, I went, whoa, there's a lot of food going on here. There's a lot of riders that are not healthy. You know, besides nutrition, I found stress problems, sleep, anxiety, depression. There's all these things that, that I started to unwind and to unpack that I started thinking to myself, wait, I have to reorganize the way I work with athletes, the way I train them. And now I focus more on a health aspect of a rider before I build performance. I now want to build a foundation where we're eating right, we're recovering, we're hydrating, we're in the right mindset to be able to say, okay, we understand how to handle stress and eliminate it because that's impossible, but how to handle stress. So that way, once we have all these things manageable, then we can start working on the next level, which is performance. Okay, okay, that makes sense. You know, because I know just being a rider and a competitor and a coach, it's certainly a lot different to other athletes. You know, you go down to the um, top sports coaches and camps and that, that include other athletes and it's entirely different. There's a lot more focus on correct nutrition as well as other things, whereas we are. You know, we are, We're, you know, the horse is first. And um, that's the way it's been for a long time. And, and I certainly understand that we need to work as a team. And, um, you know, I mean, the, this podcast is all about educating people to the possibilities. And I think certainly your skill of coming in as an outsider, but then really focusing on equestrian, you've got the background of being in the other sports and then coming into equestrian. And I think that itself is a real benefit. You wouldn't be as complimentary to the equestrian community if all you've done is just horses. You know, the fact that you've come in from another sport brings in a lot more knowledge into the equestrian community. So I think that itself is good. But I'm just wondering, you know, when you started this and said, and I understand that you're working with one athlete first and that athlete would have been an open-minded person who rode and who also worked out at the gym. But coming into the general equestrian community as a strength and conditioning coach that specialises working with equestrian riders, have there been any challenges? Like have people, have people said, oh, no, we don't need that or, you know, our horse is the athlete or anything like that? What have been the challenges there? Have people come in and not accepted you? How's that been? Yeah, so there, there has been a challenge of not explaining what, strength and conditioning is actually about. Because if you just take the face value, right, the strength and conditioning, the, the, the premise that someone might 
bulking big muscles. The word strength uh, may have a negative connotation uh, because it's, it's linked or it's almost perceived as that's football. Strength and conditioning is football or basketball. We're just, we're just equestrians. They don't, they don't see themselves, as, especially in the doll amateur, uh, they are athletes. Where actually everyone's like an athlete. So I, my, what I've done is I've tried to now explain a little bit more thorough that strength and conditioning is a title that that I have. That but the services that we provide are in layers. You start off at a certain level where it's very general, and you may or may not be using weights. And the goal is to strengthen yourself to be able to ride which would, that would be more of a relative strength to what you need to accomplish your task as opposed to a sport where you need maximal strength to apply to run faster, to jump higher. And that is a different type of training. But that's what's seen in the media and that's what's very sexy and it's it's worth showing on videos, all the guys, the girls lifting a ton of weight. So it's breaking that perception of what training is the conditioning and then almost helping them understand that this is more a program or a system as which athletes train to manage their training load evaluate what they've done and what's progress to the next level that's the strength and conditioning and then when I explain that to people then they start opening up and oh okay so it's not just you know heavy weights I don't think that that's you know, that that transfers to writing or it's not sports specific to writing and then I go into what I already explained to you about the sports specific term how what I feel about that term and, and you know and and it's like you said it's educating everyone into what we're actually doing and how we can. We can help them not only stay safe while they're doing their sport, but at the end of the day, just to communicate better with their work. Tony, just thinking across riders, you know, if you, you might see a few riders and, and just see this common fault coming up again. I'm thinking about this for our listeners, and I understand that all our riders are different. They're all individuals, but is there like a common theme through horse riders that they may be able to work on and take something they can take away from listening to this chat and they can check it and um, just an exercise they can do. Yeah, so now before I give this list a little bit of, of context yep. uh, of, to how I come up with this list, and when I look at an athlete, I have to look at what tools do they have available that they can now use for the sport. So when I look at that and I look at riders, a common thing that I see that is lacking in that tool belt is rhythm. When I, when I look at someone and we're going through a training session and I'm, and I'm applying or I'm sorry, I'm prescribing basic calisthenics, um, little hops, jumps, skips, and we may be even jumping over some little hurdles to gauge distance and learn how to have proper rhythm over certain objects. In my head, I ask the question, if you're having trouble jumping over a set of gymnastics, we'll call that hurdle, and facing, and you want to take off and work on that, 
how do you even, what's the learning curve, I should say, you doing that on a horse? Do you gauge distance? Do you always be, do you just always have to count strides or can you feel? Do you stand the rhythm, feeling what's going on? Because if you're only, if you're only, only athletic, is counting out, counting out numbers to gauge a distance. You are not going to have the tool necessary that someone else that can feel and just know where they're at. Because counting during a show is not something that I would think is very effective. So to me, rhythm and learning how to train rhythm is super important. Now, the exercise that we use, very basic. Jump. When I jump rope, I've trained hundreds of riders now. And I ask the jump rope. I would say 5% know how to jump rope. And again, what, what is jump rope? Feeling the floor. Understanding how to absorb form and quickly get off the floor. Having rhythm with your disassociation with your hands to create the rhythm. Can your hands be going in one direction or, or, or go at a certain speed and have a flow while your feet follow? Or are you always concentrating and jumping over with the, the rope with your feet? Which, uh, you know, a jump rope is very thin, but you jump you know, a foot or, or, or uh, you know, tons of centimeters high. To me, it's so interesting because it's something that is so basic and foundational, but it's gotten lost. So I know people are going, wait, really? Rhythm? Yes, but when I see it, they don't understand how to land off the box. So one of my basic exercises that I do is I get, uh, we'll say, trying to look, uh, I know there are different measurements here in the United States, but we use a 24-inch box. And I'll have riders stand on it, and they'll take a step off like they're stepping off the ledge land. Now, when they land, they should land in a, in a two-point position. And it should be, like, so soft that I don't hear them land because they understand that the floor is there, and they can feel it and understand how to create the force needed so that it's very soft. And when somebody does it for the first time, I look and I go, how do you gauge when you're jumping up? With the heart, you gauge when the brain's trying to pass. How, how do you even get to that? So again, it's proprioception. It's learning how, where you are in space and having the time to be able to land on the floor and get back up off the floor. So my go-tos are when I'm working with someone, just to feel out their athleticism, jump rope, a box or something a little higher that they can step off of. I would say a boxing block would be a great way to just learn how to step off and land. And on my social media page, I have videos where I have uh, riders learn how to do that. And then I have some advanced ones that do some pretty phenomenal stuff off of it because they understand how to now absorb force. And the things that they do off these boxes are pretty cool. Uh, so I would say that's the first thing. The second thing that I see is I think it's a result of our society and how we are now over our phone, pushed over, or on a computer, and I'm sorry, sitting down in front of a desk, looking at a computer, and then having this posture now that is very beneficial for long hours on the computer, not beneficial for writing. So we lose mobility, we lose flexibility. So now when you're trying to do something other than what you're spending a lot of time doing, it's very difficult to expect any type of different 
posture. So you can't separate when you're spending eight to 10 hours working if you're a professional and then you slip away and go ride that you're automatically going to have better posture for riding when you've been spending so so many hours in this specific position. So it's almost like a, like a, you know, I don't want to say cultural, but this is how our society is now. So for me, I don't care who you are, what you come in with, you're going to go through a proper mobility, flexibility, stability program. And I don't care if you're fit. I don't care if you're strong. But for me, I have to offset the time that you're spending on your phone, in front of a TV, in front of a computer, so that these muscles and these joints start doing the opposite of what you were doing. So if you're what we call everything anteriorly, muscles in the front are tight. I'm going to make sure that I loosen those muscles and work the muscles in the back, which are your shoulder, rear shoulders, the middle of your back, your upper back, your low back, just open you up. So that way we can offset the movement. And when you go to ride, you'll now have some tools to be able to say, right, I just come from my desk or school. Now I can do a couple of stretches and be ready for my riding lesson. Those are the first two. I think I can name a couple more, but for me, once I know that, that I have those two work on, it makes it more digestible. And some of the mobility exercises that I go to, and it's easy uh, probably to picture this, if you get a pitchfork and you put your, we're going to say your right hand on top of the pitchfork and the left hand at the bottom of the pitchfork and you're holding it at a 45 degree angle so that your right hand is, lo- is higher than your left hand. So you're at an angle. Now you're using your left hand to drive the pitchfork up towards the right hand and push it back around your shoulder, past your shoulder. You're going to get a, a stretch in your chest. And then you can relax by bringing that pitchfork back down, lowering your arm. So now you give a little break. And I just do that with the riders for about 20 reps where we're just swinging the pitchfork at an angle over your right shoulder with your right hand on top, feeling a stretch on your right side and then lowering it back down. And those swings will actually start to loosen up the muscles of the chest, which will probably be very tight, which in turn will start loosening the grip on the shoulder so that we can sit back and down a lot easier. I hope that visual makes sense. It was more than a visual, Tony. I was actually, you know, I'm standing here as I'm talking to you and, and I had an imaginary pitchfork and I uh, I had a good stretch. I was almost, you know, like when you stretch and you yawn. I didn't want to yawn, but I certainly was stretching and I feel better for it. So, yes, yes. Tony, these videos on your social media page, the videos on your social media page, just tell us a little bit more details where people can find those. I have an Instagram, and that is my, yeah, that is my major uh, platform. I'm sorry, uh, Instagram, and my handle is at Coach Sandal Training, and I have on there uh, a lot of videos uh, for exercises that include, you know, weight, bands, the suspension systems, which are you know very popular, like TRX. Um, I use just equipment that I think people can just use around the barn. Um, and I try to give people examples of exercises that they can do. Uh, mind you, they're not a specific program, but at least it gets you thinking, oh, wow, I should be doing some of these exercises, some core exercises, mobility exercises, stretches, cool downs, 
a proper warm-up before you ride. I try to give a lot of value on that page. And the page is connected to my Facebook, which is also Coach Sando Training. So you'll see the same information cross over to the platforms that are very similar. And those are the two uh, that I use to share a lot of my information. Okay. And for those people who didn't quite get all those, um, of course, just go to horsechats.com. You can search for Tony, search for Sandoval, or search for Coach Sando. We'll put that in as well into the search terms. And at the bottom of Tony's chat, all those links will be on there. So you'll be able to link directly through to those um, social media pages and the details. Um, Tony, now, do you know, now we're in 2020. What are you thinking moving forward? What are your plans over the next 12 months, two years? My next goal is to be more of an educator. Uh, I had it uh, lined up before COVID hit that I was going to be speaking at conferences here uh, at in the States. And the one that I really got excited about was our Young Writers Program, which is talking, mentoring, and trying to help all the youth in our country that are writers to be able to teach them what sports performance is like and to help create a program in which we can develop our youth into the athletes that they're able to become. That's the goal for me in 2021 is to talk more, listen more than that, and be able to be a resource for a lot of writers coming up. Because, you know, to be honest, there's some people that are already in their ways uh, and, and it's very challenging to help them but to me going back to the college environment that I came from and enjoying working with the youth there and being able to be a positive influence on them and help them uh, again be more accountable have a teaching leadership skills I just get a lot of joy from from being able to help that population so if that if I can do that to do mentoring teaching speaking, and then be able to educate the rest of the community at conferences. That, to me, would be a successful year. Mm, mm, I think so. I think, um, you know, if anyone gets the chance to to see Tony speak, I think certainly go along and, and um, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. But meanwhile, I'm sure those recordings will be available as well. So have a look at his social media pages and um, have a look at the app as well. And I think we'll go from there. Tony, I'd love to have you back more because I think there's a lot more. You know, I think just we vaguely touched on the the area of nutrition, vaguely touched on the healthy mindset of an equestrian athlete. But, you know, I'm sure you could go into a lot more depth in those areas and many more. So we'd love to have you back again. And we would look forward to chatting with you again soon. I would love to be back. I really enjoyed this. And just tell me when and I'll be here. Will do. Okay. Thank you, Tony. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right.